Good morning. Hey, if we haven't been introduced yet, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I want to welcome those watching in the venue, those watching at line at carneyfree.com. So glad that you joined us today. Hey, I want to wish a happy Independence Day to everyone coming up on Tuesday. If you're happening to be visiting with us today, we're in the middle of a series titled From Broken to Beautiful. From Broken to Beautiful. As the Apostle Paul has written the letter of 1 Corinthians, and as he wrote the letter to that church, he's writing to a church that is broken and that it's lost its way and needs to be reminded of their identity and who they are in Christ. You know, as we've been going through this series and as we've been going through the letter of 1 Corinthians, it's just reminded me of how, even though it's been written to over 2,000 years ago, how much it still applies even today. I came across a Netflix documentary a couple of years ago titled uh, The Social Dilemma. Has anyone seen that, Social Dilemma? I see a few hands, I see a few hands. So, um, incredible documentary. So what it does is it kind of details what social media has done uh, to our culture over the past years. And they interview the people who actually created these platforms, the people that created Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the like. And what initially was created as something to increase connection, what they've been seeing is that it's actually drawn us further and further apart. So there's something called the mighty algorithm to where you might click on a link of something that you're interested in or maybe a view that you share. And the more that you click on that link, the more that it just feeds you that same information. And what's happened is we've ended up in echo chambers. To where, yes, there's people that we disagree with, but maybe even there's people that we slightly disagree with. And because we keep on hearing the same information, if I disagree with you, I feel the need that I need to withdraw from you. And it's fractured our relationships. And as we even approach going into another election cycle, how it might even ramp up again. And I ask you this, are you disillusioned with this yet? And I'm not talking about social media itself, but are you disillusioned with the fact that whenever we feel like we disagree with someone, we have to withdraw, we have to argue, we feel like we have to attack? And when we do this, what does it do for us reaching people with the gospel? There's a message that Pastor Adrian gave back in the fall from Citizens of Another Kingdom. He talked about four different paradigms of how the church has historically engaged with culture. And I really, really appreciated what he shared. And I thought it was so applicable for today. And he gave me permission to share this with you all. So there's four different paradigms that the church, how we've engaged the culture as the kingdom of God. And the first one is as a fortress. That we provide this alternative fortress to the world. I, I think about what Jesus prayed for us. He prayed for the disciples in John 17, but he prayed for us. His prayer was that we are in the world, but that we would not be of the world. All right, so the, the world is, is a scary place, right? It's a scary place. So what we contend to do is we contend to withdraw into this fortress as a place of protection. And I think there's some things, yeah, where I get the allure of this, where yes, we do need to protect ourselves and I need to have both hands up because I do this as well. But if we practice this too much over time, what can happen is we can find ourselves within like a, a Christian bubble 
where we're only surrounded by people that we agree with. Maybe we just listen to Christian music or just watch Christian movies. We can find ourselves within this bubble and when Jesus' prayer that we would be in the world and not of the world, it seems like we're neither. So another paradigm for how the church has historically engaged culture is something uh, of a force mentality. Right, and you see this picture of a, of a rugby scrum where we're just kind of pushing back and forth on ideas. And how this can look like is maybe we form a group of like-minded people and then we fight against things that we are against. But in the mix of that, what we're for can get lost. And I get the lore of this as well because I might be going on social media and I see an article of something that's going on in culture and this thought enters my mind of like that this needs to be stopped. I get the allure of this. But what can happen is, you know, when we think about what Paul says our battle is against, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities, it's against the kingdom of darkness. Our battle is against Satan. And what we can see in this force mentality is that we fight people. And as we fight people, sometimes we can even seek to destroy people. And again, we see those relationships fracture. What did Jesus speak about his kingdom in the Gospels? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, I would have taken it by force. I think Jesus is teaching us a different model. Another one that people go after is something called the frequent flyer. The frequent flyer. So this is where we see where culture's going and we just kind of hop on our jet and we go along with culture. At times maybe we, we water down scripture so that it can fit within our views. And what can happen with this is that Jesus might be viewed as savior, but he's not viewed as Lord. He's not viewed as Lord to where we say, God, you have everything in my life, everything that I am, I surrender to you. And what can happen within this is that we are in the world, but then we can become also of the world. There's one more paradigm, and I believe this is the model that Jesus sets for us. We can see this in 2 Corinthians 2, and you'll see this verse on the screen I'd like to invite you to read this with me as you see this on the screen. It says, God uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere. Like a sweet perfume, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. To be the fragrance of Christ. There is opportunity now more than ever for us to stand out as the fragrance of Christ. That when people would come across us, that they would see us and that they would see that something is different. That yes, we hold to our convictions and yes, we need to hold to our convictions of the word of God. But that they would see also that these people, they hold on to grace. They're gracious. And that we would be the fragrance of Christ. You know, this is what Jesus invites us to be to the people around us, to those who are within our sphere of influence and beyond. But here's the thing that's been boiling in my head this week. On my own, I don't have the wisdom to do this. 
On my own, I do not have the wisdom to do this. This is why it's so critical. It's so critical that we go to God's word. We have God's word for truth, but I also believe that God's word has wisdom for us for how to share truth with others and how to engage the culture around us. So if you have your Bibles with, uh, with you, I invite you to open to 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to begin in verse 19. You can also see the words on the screen as well. Paul writes, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To win the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, he notes. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And also love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I am under Christ's law and I do this so that I can win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do the, all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Would you pray with me? So God, we come to you just confessing how, how we need you. How God, we need your wisdom in this area. God, you've equipped us with everything we need. So we abide in you today. We, may we abide in the way of Christ. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us today as we hear from your word? In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so there's a lot of ideas within that passage, but here, here's the big idea that we're going to go after today, and we'll break this down more as we go through. And it's this. Embracing the gospel frees you to embrace people where they are. Embracing the gospel frees you to embrace people where they are. This kind of sounds off to us, doesn't it? Like, that, I'm, I can embrace people where they are. Like, okay, so what if they're walking in sin? I'm not so supposed to agree with that, am I, am I right? Well, I think we need to think about the difference between the words agree and embrace. So I had a conversation with a, with a friend a couple months ago, and we came to a disagreement over an issue. We came to a, a disagreement, and we, we talked with each other, we listened to each other, we loved each other through it, but at the end of it, we still did not come to agreement. But the very next time that we saw each other, th this is my brother in Christ, we, we embraced, literally. This is, this is what the gospel does for us. As we embrace the gospel, we are free to embrace people where they are. Why, why are we afraid to do this? Why, why has this been so difficult? 
I mean, I, I noted uh, what's going on, what the social dilemma that the documentary has highlighted. I noted that could it be that our cultural conditioning has worked its way within us? That when someone has a differing view or a, a different way to live that we demonize them and that we push them away, that we withdraw Friends, when we embrace the gospel, it changes our mindset. It changes our mindset to where we are free to embrace people where they are. How do we do this? Number one, we need to embrace your gospel identity first. Embrace your gospel identity first. So if if I were to ask you this question, Who are you? And where is it that you find your identity in? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? You know, for some of us in the room, we might, the first thing that comes to mind could be that, well, I'm a parent, or um, I'm a son, or a daughter, or maybe it's the line of work that I'm in, or maybe it's a political party or a political ideology and as we approach another election cycle that identity seems to come to the surface a lot more for people okay so so when I ask you that question what is it that you find your identity in how much of it dominates your thinking on a day-to-day basis how much of it dominates your emotions Then even further, does it influence the way that you treat people or how you engage with them? See, when I watch a documentary, documentary like The Social Dilemma, what can be found as a source of our identity when like we're, we're pushing and we're fighting and we're pushing and when we're pulling away? Does it ever cause you to ask, what's the source of my identity? So this, this is what we need to do. We need to embrace our gospel identity first. Because yes, the, the thing that came to your mind, or maybe a couple things that came to your mind, those are part of who we are. But when we embrace who we are in Christ and what he's done for us first, everything flows out of that. Everything flows out of that. I struggle with this notion at times. This is what I struggle with. If I reach out to this person in front of me, what will my friends or the group that I'm a part of that think differently than this person, what will they think of me? I, I deal with this fear. But Paul tells us that we're free. We're free and that we need to embrace our gospel identity first. We see this in verse 19. This is what he writes. He says, though I am free and belong to no one. I belong to no man. I am free from their opinions. Oh, to know that type of freedom, right? To know that type of freedom. He says, I have made myself a slave to everyone. I've made myself a servant. Why? To win as many as possible. I mean, this is quite a paradox, isn't it? Paul says that he is free and that he doesn't belong to anyone, yet he makes himself a servant to everyone. 
mean, doesn't it seem like he's kind of contradicting himself? Maybe like he's kind of blowing with the wind a bit. But here's what we have to understand. Paul is talking about the depths of our freedom of who we are in Christ. You know, if you ask anyone if they would define freedom, you know, uh, with, with the culture that we've been raised in, and you know, you might get a different array of answers, but I think it could boil down to this. If you ask someone what free, how they would define freedom, they would say something like, I am able to make decisions for myself, for my benefit, without anyone imposing any constraints on me. But to understand what Paul is talking about, we need to understand what biblical freedom is. And if you go back to the beginning of Scripture, to Adam and Eve, when they chose to disobey God's command, they were placed under another master, and that master was sin. But this is the good news of the gospel for what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and he's raised again, that we are free from the power of sin, and it has no hold over us. He's reminding us of our identity of who we are in Christ. Colossians 1 says this, Jesus He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We've been transferred. We belong to Jesus Christ. So what do we do with this identity? In Galatians 5, Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, to satisfy your own desires, but rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when when we embrace our gospel identity first, who we are in Christ, it flows into everything else and we begin to see people differently. We begin to think, how can I serve them? What do I need to set aside? What preferences, what rights that I have in order that I may be able to reach them, the benefit of reaching them? When we embrace the gospel, we're free to embrace people where they are. But to do that, we need to embrace our gospel identity first. And when we do this, this leads us to embrace opportunities to build relational bridges to deliver truth. We need to embrace opportunities to build relational bridges to deliver truth. Verse 20, Paul writes this. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To win those under the law I became like one under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. We embrace opportunities to build relational bridges with people so that we can deliver truth. It takes tact to have contact, right? It takes tact to have contact. You know, the first task of any missionary for any culture that they want to go into is first they need to learn the culture and then respect it. Because if you don't do that, you're going to have a lot of trouble reaching the people that are right in front of you. 
All right, so when Paul says in verse 20, he says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew in order to win the Jews. What's he saying? Well, so Paul, ethnically, he's Jewish. He's saying, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Well, again, here, here's Paul. He's embracing his gospel identity first. He knows that he is free from the law. He's free from being obligated to fulfill the law because he knows that in Christ it is fulfilled and he is free in Christ. But when he reaches out to the Jewish people, he doesn't attack their views or customs. Instead, he does whatever he can to reach out to them. So he says, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. So what does he do? He may have participated in the ceremonial washings. It's what the, the Jewish people, those under the law, did in order for them to be prepared to worship. Paul knows that he is free from this. He's not obligated to this, but still, in order to reach them, he sets aside his preferences and he takes part in the, of that custom. All right, he, he is free to eat uh, shellfish. <laughs> He's free to eat pork. But he knows that those who are still under the law, that would cause offense. So he sets that aside in order to reach them. In order to not needlessly offend them. Verse 21, when he says, To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. So when he's reaching out to the Gentiles, they don't follow the law. So of course he doesn't, he sets that aside. It'd be kind of weird if he was doing the washings in front of them. But in order to reach them, he sets it aside. See, Paul does whatever it takes to meet the person in front of him where they are. He builds relational bridges in order that he can deliver truth unhindered. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with the movie Back to the Future 3. I, I, I loved all the Back to the Future movies, but I, I, what's come to mind right now is Back to the Future 3. Has anyone seen that movie? Yeah, yeah. So like the most like climactic point of the movie is they're trying to get back to the future. So they're on this train, and what's happened is there's a broken bridge. And they need to get to 88 miles per hour before they crash into the ravine. But this is what it makes me think of. When we break down our relationships, and hasn't it seemed like relationships has been broken so much over these past years when we can't seem to come to agreement? So when these relational bridges are broken and we try to deliver truth, it's kind of like the train in that movie where it falls into the ravine. And yes, we need to speak truth. We still need to continue to keep doing that. But if you do not have a relational bridge with someone, if they, don't, if they don't believe that you care about them, you can deliver truth, but it's like it's falling straight into the ravine. It won't reach them. Yes, the word, they might hear the words, but they won't hear it. It won't impact their soul. And this is what Paul is teaching us, is what he is reminding us to do, is that the people in front of us, we need to build relational bridges to them in order that we can deliver the hope and the life-giving truth of the gospel. Do you know the gospel well enough? Is it saturated in your soul, in everything that you do, that you know how it applies everywhere? See, when you know how the gospel applies everywhere, this frees you up 
to be able to meet people where they are and to love them. And then if you get an opportunity there to speak the gospel into that. What would it look like when, you know, when we're in a conversation with someone that we disagree with, what would it look like if we just set our talking points to the side and we just ask this question, how is it that you came to believe what you believe? You know what will happen within that? You'll get to hear this person's story. And you sit with them and you just continue to ask questions. And what they notice is that, man, there's something different about this person. It's as if there's a different fragrance. And then perhaps maybe you have an opportunity to deliver truth unhindered. Do you know the gospel well enough? Is it saturated in your soul enough to where you can sit down with someone from the LGBTQ community and you can just simply listen to their story? To hear them? To see how their experience has shaped them? And you know where the gospel applies everywhere and when it gets an opportunity where you can speak truth. Or perhaps you're with someone from a different ethnicity. Do you know the gospel well enough? Is it saturated in your soul that you can sit with them without any preconceived notions and just listen to their experience? Or maybe there's a person from a different faith and they have questions about Christianity and they are pushing back. Is the gospel saturated in your soul to where you can just sit and listen and build those relational bridges? I heard an amazing example of how this is done in a podcast episode uh, from Russell Moore recently. Russell, Russell Moore, is a, he's the editor-in-chief at Christianity Today, and what he often does is he invites people onto his, uh, his uh, podcast to talk about various issues. So if I say the name Rain Wilson, does that ring a bell for anyone? I hear a couple of yeses. How about if I say the name Dwight Schrute from The Office? Does anyone, anyone know that name? Yeah, yeah. Wait. Dwight Schrute from The Office. So Rain Wilson is an actor, and he recently wrote a book called Spiritual Boom, Why Our Culture Needs a Spiritual Awakening. Okay, so that sounds pretty good right off the bat, but uh, Russell Moore is uh, a gospel-believing Christian, and uh, Rain Wilson is of the Baha'i faith. He believes that Jesus is the Son of God, He believes that the early work of the church is one of the greatest movements in history, but he just simply believes that Jesus was a light and that Muhammad was another light and the Buddha was another light. So Russell Moore, what he does is he invites Rain Wilson onto this program and he does something where it's kind of like a a segment where Russell or Rain Wilson tells me where I'm wrong on spirituality. And he just has to sit there and he can't argue back. He sets that on himself. The only thing he can do is ask questions to gain more clarity. And I just, as I was listening, I was like, man, this has got to be really hard. (laughs) This has got to be really hard. But what happened within this, as he asked questions, he is able to hear Rain Rain Wilson's story. So he asked him, you know, what is it like dealing with celebrity culture? And Rain was able to talk about his experience as a child and even some of the trauma that he experienced as a child and when he became famous, how 
the attention that he got was just never enough. He was able to get to a little bit more of the depths of his soul and then they were able to share the experience of they recently lost their father. Both of them had lost their father recently and they were able to make that connection. See, he was building a relational bridge. And yes, Russell asked him tough questions about the Baha'i faith and pressed him. But then Rain Wilson asked Russell Moore this question. And this is where the gospel opportunity came out. This is what Rain asked him. He said, Russell, what would it take for you to convert to the Baha'i faith? And the gospel is so saturated in Russell as he says this. Yeah, you may believe that Jesus Christ was a light and that Muhammad was another light and then the Buddha, but this is what Russell said. I believe that Jesus Christ is the light of the world and he is the savior of all and he died and he rose again and he is reigning forever and it's in him that we have our confidence and upon whom we stand. You see, he had an opportunity to share the gospel with Rain Wilson in this moment. And they can't include everything in the podcast, but what he did share is that they continued the conversation about faith afterward. And I gotta believe that Russell planted a seed of the gospel in Rain Wilson. He planted a seed of the gospel. Do you know the gospel well enough that it is saturated in your soul that you can just simply sit with people who disagree with you and ask questions and learn more about their experience, and then when the opportunity arises to speak the gospel into it. Because of that relational bridge, you may be able to speak the gospel truth unhindered. And may they receive it. Verse 22, this is what Paul writes. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing, in its reward. I really think it's important to note this. There's one sense, you know, Paul talks about becoming all things to all people. There is one sense where we can't do that but it's impossible to do that. I know that you're thinking this, right? Because in one sense, we are limited in our time. We are limited in our resources. We are limited in our gifts. You all have gifts that I don't have. You're gonna be able to reach people that I'm not gonna be able to reach. But I think this is what Paul is getting at when he says all things to all people. There is another sense that we can be that. I think back a couple weeks ago when Adrian said, real love is really considerate. And that we ask ourselves the tough questions, what is it that I can set aside? Are there any preferences? Are there any rights that I can set aside so that I may be able to reach the person right in front of me? And as we talked about last week, that gospel freedom both compels and constrains us toward greater reward, that we would set down our rights when the moment comes where we can reach these people unhindered. And that they would be able to hear us. There is a sense that we can become all things to all people. And the question is, are you ready? Is the gospel saturated in your soul? As it relates to missions, as it relates to outreach, as it relates to reaching your neighbor. 
So I'd like to invite the band forward right now as we close. As we think about this, as we become all things to all people, I think there's one thing that we all can do this week. Who is one person that you can embrace this week? Who is one person that I can embrace this week? There's one person even right now, even as I'm speaking, that's coming to my mind. And then also this, are there any relational bridges that you need to repair that have been broken? Embracing the gospel frees us to embrace people where they are. All right, because here's the truth. At one point, we were all separated from Christ. But what did Christ do? I think of Romans 5, 8, that yes, while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion, Christ died for us. He died for me. He died for you. He embraced us where we are. Yes, he transformed us with the truth of his gospel. And this is what he is calling all of us to do, is to go. And to the people in front of us, are you willing to embrace them where they are and to meet them and to love them and to ask them questions? And as you build that relational bridge, perhaps you may have the opportunity to deliver truth. And we plant the seed of the gospel, the hope that the world is looking for and they're so desperate for Will they see it in us? Who is one person that you will embrace this week? Why? Because Jesus Christ embraced us. Would you pray with me? So God, I, I am so thankful for the gospel. It is, it is such good news. That we were in rebellion but Jesus, you came near to us and in your perfect life, death, and resurrection, you restored our relationship to God, Jesus. And we're new. You've given us a new identity. So may we live within that. May we use our freedom for the sake of others. because the world is desperate for hope. And it's in this hope and it's in this transformation that Jesus only you can bring that you change us one by one. So Jesus, would you work in me? Would you work in me? Would you change me? Would you change my mindset? to just move from the people that I, disagree, that I agree with. And thank you for the community that we have in that, but God, that you call us to extend our arms to others. The world will see the fragrance of Christ in that. They'll want to know what that's about. So God, would you strengthen us? Would you move in us? And God, would you remind us of all that you've done for us? Praise in your name.